Okay, so I'm really, um, I know what's, I'm trying to think of what the young people say, I'm stacked or stoked or whatever it is, and I'm excited about talking about what I'm going to talk about today, which is really um, not unusual. I know I get excited some weeks, but some really unusual happened because about three or four weeks ago, very specifically heard from God what I was supposed to talk about today. Now, I know you may come here week after week and you assume that I'm hearing from God or else I'm talking off the top of my hat. And we would hope that most weeks it is something that God is saying. But this was a very specific topic to talk about on a very specific day. I've never had that happen before. We've done series and I've kind of known where we were going and what might happen on a day. But nothing like this. So when I say all of that, only to say one thing. If you're here to hear today... You were meant to hear this. And if you're listening on a podcast, you were meant to hear this message and you were meant to hear it today. Um, I wonder, have you ever wondered about the way we are sometimes? Why do I think the way I do or relate to people the way I do? Why do I talk the way I do, walk the way I do, love or not love the way I do? I remember spending so long in my life feeling like there was something missing. And the best image I could ever think of was an apple tart with a slice missing, like that one up there. And I always figured I was like that tart, but there was a little piece missing and I didn't know what it was. You know we say phrases like the stairway doesn't go all the way to the top or there's a sandwich out of a picnic and we've all them wonderful ways of describing people that we think are a little bit odd. To say the least, okay, I was one of the odd ones. I still am one of the odd ones, I know that, but that's beside the point. But I always knew there was something that other people seemed to have that I didn't have when I was dealing with life. And then when I was 30, I met Jesus. And I started on this amazing adventure of living instead of existing. But even with that, I still felt there was something missing. Had the amazing power of the Holy Spirit walking through me, changing things. But I still knew I wasn't quite right. I lived like I had no power in life. I lived as a victim of circumstances. And in essence, I was living a second-class life. I had some really serious, messed-up beliefs about who I was. And in psychology, we call them core beliefs. They're beliefs that we live out of. And you all have them as well. They're also called self-limiting beliefs because they stop us doing things sometimes. Because of our education or because of this or because of the way we look or because of the way where we're from or whatever, it can stop us stepping into things. They stop us reaching out. They can stop us living the life we were created to live and the life that God designed for us to live. And these core beliefs were about where I was from, that I was lucky to be here at all, because if life had worked out properly and my parents had got what they wanted, they wouldn't have got me, because I wasn't part of the plan. I came into the world as a mistake. I lived in the wrong neighborhood. I spoke with the wrong accent. It's like, we can get the violins out now, can't we? La, la, la. God love us. Do you know what I mean? So here was the thing. On the outside, I didn't look too bad. I was holding down a job. I was married. But on the inside, it was a mess. We had two kids at this stage. Living on terror on the inside, but trying to hold a mask up to the world on the outside. So afraid to be found out. So afraid that people would realize 
I was not who I thought they thought I was. Which is really funny, because most of the times we think what other people are thinking about us is not true anyway. I was also terrified that someday I was going to wake up and look and see right through me. And go. And probably take the kids with her. And you know what? That really only came to a head when we had kids. It didn't really affect us too much for the first few years of our marriage. I didn't notice it that much. But when we had kids, it changed things. Something about becoming a dad or a father changed the level of terror I was living in. From, I was thinking of how, you know, there was American programs, it's like DEFCON 1, and then it goes up to DEFCON 4 if they're in a war. It was like I went from 1 to 4 overnight, we had a baby. This was like, turn your world upside down. Maybe it's the other way, maybe I went from 4 to 1, I don't know which one, whatever's the most dangerous, I went there, nuclear meltdown stuff. I never wanted kids. I have told my kids this, they've had the counsel and they've got over it, it's not their fault. <laughs> I never wanted kids, and wanted them. Do you know why I never wanted kids? Because I knew I was going to mess up. I wasn't afraid of being a dad. I knew I couldn't be a dad. And in lots of ways I was right. Because I did fail in loads of ways. And in the early couple of years when I didn't have God, I really messed up. But something happened when I had an encounter with God. And I've shared it loads of times with people, and I've even shared it from this platform before. But something happened when I realized that I was born on purpose, that God had a purpose for me. And I was, like, I was looking up the, the, um, the dictionary on purpose, and it's, it's the reason for which something is done or created, or for which something exists. See, when you know you're born on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, it makes a difference in how you interact with the world. I learned that I was part of a plan, that it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't an accident or anything like it. But I'd been born for such a time as this. Now, here's the deal. If I was born for such a time as this, then my kids were born for such a time as this. They were supposed to be here. And I was supposed to be their dad. And God had the confidence in me being their dad that I didn't have. And did as well. I don't know where she got it from, but she did. There's a story in, 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 in the Old Testament, about, in the book of Esther, about this lady who became a queen. And her people were under threat. And she was challenged to do something to rescue her people. And she didn't want to do it because she had to put her own life at risk. And in, the book, in, in Esther 4.14, it says this. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And there was something about that phrase, for such a time as this, that God spoke into my life and loads of people I know into their lives. And then the second scripture that really blew me away at that time was, in Psalms 139, it says, For you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Now, I don't know if he crocheted me or knit me, but I was put together. It was on purpose. And that was all very well, and it did help. And it actually started to fill in that gap that was missing. That slice in that apple pie started to be filled in a bit, but it didn't fill the whole thing in. It only filled some of it. There was still something. I still lived lived a great deal of life in this second-class place. I still felt the victim of circumstances. I still didn't feel in control or in power in my own life. I knew the Bible was telling me all these amazing things I was supposed to be doing. Amazing life I was supposed to be having. Who I was meant to be, what I was meant to have. But I couldn't see it for me. Do you know the amazing thing? I could see it for other people. Easy to see it for other people. But it was a different story looking in the mirror and saying that's for me too. But then over a very short period of time, God let me see a few different things and experience a few different things that really changed how I interacted with the world. One of them was scripture, like I said, and those two scriptures meant a huge amount to me. But there was another scripture at the time that I read that didn't exactly give me comfort. It scared me even worse. And it was a scripture from Exodus, and it talks about how God will punish the children of sinners up to four generations, but that he will bless the children of righteous people for hundreds of generations. It's in Exodus 34. Just two, I'll read them out to you now. In Exodus 34, 6, it should be on the screen behind me. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And earlier, when he was given Moses the Ten Commandments, the second one, which is funny because when you read the Ten Commandments just in the little shorthand, this bit is never in it. It's only the first line or two. But it says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show in love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. I struggled with that hugely. Hugely. As I think anyone who reads it should struggle with it. That's not this lovey-dovey Jesus they tell me about in church. There was a second thing that happened to me alongside going on a journey through Scripture, and that was that I got to take part in a, in, a, in a therapy course. It was a cognitive therapy course, and one of the biggest components in that course was about taking personal responsibility. And between that and loads of other things, I was challenged on loads of different levels. And I combined what I was getting there with what God was showing me in the Scriptures. And he began to do a work on me. And I remember sitting at the end of a course and someone said to me, what, what did you get out of the course? And I got, I got me a slice of apple pie. And they hadn't got a clue what I was talking about. They thought I was nuts. But I knew what I was talking about. I had got me a slice. This was the tool that I had been missing for over three decades in my life. I'd been missing this one tool. So 
So let me for a minute just go back to the scriptures and try and pull this together and make sense out of it. Because I believe it all fits together. See, I really thought God was unfair. I thought he was vindictive. Why would you punish kids for what their dads did? That's just not fair in any world, in any language. You know, the biggest problem I had was I knew I was messing up as a dad. I knew I was falling short with God. I wasn't doing all I should be, and I was certainly doing loads of stuff I shouldn't be. I was blaming the world and its mother for everything that was wrong in my life. And I was really struggling with how or why God would pick on my kids because of that. And then somewhere along the way, a light bulb went on. And I'd love to say I had this like massive menace, and it happened on the 27th of August, such a day. That's rubbish. I haven't got a clue when it happened. But somewhere on this journey, something clicked in my head. And God showed me something, that he wasn't vindictive, that he wasn't cruel and he wasn't trying to hurt my kids. But that he showed me if I didn't change, I was hurting them and I was going to continue to hurt them. And it was only going to get worse. He showed me that the sins of the fathers are passed on from generation to generation all the time. Just watch this video for a minute. Scary video, isn't it? And maybe it was only me that was scared when I saw it. Anybody here stand in front of a fire to warm themselves? Or a radiator? Did anyone ever tell you that's what you do? You just seen your ma, your dad doing it, didn't you? And they came in, just stood in front of the fire and warmed their ass. Or how do you make a cup of tea? How do you do lots of things? How do you interact with other people? How do you interact with your kids? You see, the sins of the father are not necessarily sins the way I grew up thinking about sins, that you were doing something bold. Sin from what best I can come with is, is a separation from what God's best is for any one of us in life to what the reality is in our life. See, the reality of it is that children that grow up in abusive homes most times can become abusive. It might change a little bit. They might grow up in a home where it was physical violence and maybe they, they don't have physical violence. But maybe they have emotional violence or verbal violence. Children who grow up in homes with addiction have hugely higher percentage risk that they will end up in addiction. Children who grow up in loveless homes struggle in relationships and connection most of their lives. Children who grow up in homes where criminality is normal nine out of ten times end up in criminality. When I walked in Mount Joy and St. Pat's, I was dealing with granddads in one place and grandkids in the other, all from the same family. And every uncle in between, our father had been in prison too. See, the thing is, children who grow up in madness of whatever kind usually perpetuate that madness into the next generation and pass it on to the next generation. And I was doing that. I 
I was impacting on our kids with all the madness that was inside of me. I was struggling with my connections. I was struggling with my role as a father. So these are small, innocent examples, right? Really just small ones of how these affected us as a family. My family of origin were borrowers. Now, not like the little people in that movie who went around robbing things in the house, okay? They're borrowers. This is different. We didn't save for things. We borrowed. We got things on credit, on tick, whatever word you want to use, right? We'd money lenders call into the house. On the whole, as I look back on it, I don't think we were good with handling money. Anne's family were savers. They didn't get anything if they didn't have the money. They had the credit union, I think, but that was it. Anne's ma was a great saver. But if they hadn't got it, they didn't get it. Most times they got it because she was a good saver. Here's the thing. When we started our family, my family, which was Anne and me, became borrowers. We got a loan from the bank to pay for our wedding. We got another loan to pay a deposit on a house, and then we got a loan to buy the house. We borrowed money everywhere. Money was almost always an issue, as it had been in the home I came from. Guess what happens? The sins of the father. I brought an issue with me and brought it from one family into the next one. Was God punishing me? No. I was just living what I learned. My mom ran our house. She was the boss. She led, she took charge. My dad let her, he just sat back. If you wanted to know it and not ask for it and I wanted to go anywhere, you knew where to go. Or, it's no good going to him because he'd just go ask her. Now here's the thing when we got married. Do you know what happened? My kids came asking me stuff. I said, go ask your mother. Do you know why? Because if it went wrong, I didn't want to blame in me. I didn't want to take responsibility. I was carrying on the sins of the father. I was stepping back. Do you know what? I wasn't leading where I was supposed to lead. All through the Old Testament, you will see where f- what fathers did affected their children for generations. Now, the mothers had a role in this as well. David, he was the man after God's own heart, the favorite king who was mentioned all through Scripture, the one who Jesus is in the line of. He was the man. But he messed up, and it was his kids who paid the price. He had a son who raped his daughter. He had another son who killed that son for raping his sister. He had another son, the same son, who had a rebellion against him. It went through the generations. I wonder how many of us today are paying the price for the messes our dads made of things. And how many of our kids are paying the price for the messes that we met or are making. They're hard questions. And here's the thing, that can so easily become a blame game, can't it? Or a stick to beat us up with. But that's not what this is all about. This is not about guilt, it's not about blame, and it's not about condemnation. This is about freedom. 
This is about the fact that God wants you and me to live a life of freedom. And he wants our kids to live a life of freedom and our grandkids and our grandkids for a thousand generations. He wants them to live a life of freedom. See, today we have a new deal. Today we have Jesus and what he did on the cross to set us free. See, in the scriptures in Galatians 3, it tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the course of the law. Christ redeemed us from the course of the law. Do you know what that means? He set us free. We don't have to have that generational crap going down through our generations anymore. We can stop it. And he can give us the power to stop it. See, some people in the Christian world throw around terms called generational courses. It's like we're victims. That's what I lived as, a victim for years. The sins of the Father have negative results in future generations. Yes, they do. But they don't have to go past us. They can stop. Because Jesus in us can stop them. You may have come from a lion with a thousand generations and nutcases. You don't stay to stay a nutcase. You can be a normal nutcase. Whatever normal is. In whatever world you live in. But you can. So if this is true... And we have these things going down through the generations. And if this is true that Jesus can break us, so what does that look like in real life? Okay? Here's something I had to do. I had to start taking responsibility for my own life. For the decisions I was making. And I had to accept the fact that a lot of them were nuts. That I had carried stuff from where I came from into where I was. And I was still carrying it with me. And just like that Japanese soldier in the video at the very beginning of the service, I was still at war living in the past. And I was destroying the present and the future. But the blood of Jesus had set me free. But I wasn't walking in that freedom. I wasn't living that freedom. Taking responsibilities for the decisions I was making, for the role I had in my family's life. I needed to learn stuff. I didn't know how to be a parent, so I went and did parenting courses. I didn't really know how to be a good husband, so I watched other husbands. I read books ferociously to find out how to do things right. I changed decisions I was making around the kids. I stopped saying, go ask your mom. I started making decisions. I changed things around how I worked. I changed things around how we handled money. I changed things around commitment and I changed things around honesty. See, I had to be willing to change. It wasn't just sitting and waiting on God to walk a miracle and change everything for me. Believe me, I prayed for that. I sat and cried at nights wanting him to change the world all around me. But all he ever did was hold up a mirror and say, you change. You change. You become the man you were destined to be. Then I'd go and I'd say, I can't. I'm not able. I'm too scared. I don't know what will happen. And he'd say, trust me. Step out. Get honest. Be brave. Do what you need to do. There's a wonderful scripture in Joshua where it just says, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. And that words we say nowadays, be strong and courageous. But it just means grow something get going you know funny looking back it wasn't funny at the time but it is now looking back there was no promise that it was all going to be okay there was no promise saying it'll be grand Brian just get on with it 
I'll make it all work out for you. There is that promise in Romans that it'll turn all things for good. But there was no specific promise to me saying it'll be okay at home. Actually, it wasn't okay. It got worse at home for quite a while. Till we learned how to be where I was supposed to be. And learned to walk in freedom. You know, here's the thing, guys. If bad stuff passes through generations, good stuff does too. Good stuff does too. So you go back to that Exodus scripture for a minute about not making an image for yourself. But just click onto the third one, will you, for me? Um, if you go forward a couple, you should get there. It's, yeah, go on. Next one. This is about what you won't do, right? And I'm going to punish. But what's the last one? Go again. Next. No? It's in red. There. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you know what? Even if it's screwed up, it's only for three or four generations. If it's good, it's for a thousand generations. So here's the thing. I came from a family. I have no idea what's in our history. None whatsoever. I know my dad came from an alcoholic family. He never touched a drink in his life. He was a pioneer. He did what he could do to break wherever that was flowing through their family. But it didn't work. Because all the mess was still there. All the dysfunctions, all the rest of it were still there. The madness was still there. I know you. I know the madness you have. Some of you, not all of you. And I don't know all of it. But I know we all have a brand of it. But here's the thing. Our kids don't have the same madness that we had. And they don't have that. And actually, I didn't have the same madness my dad had. Because he became a pioneer to try and break it. See, life wasn't anywhere near perfect. But for our kids, it was nothing like what they could have had. Nothing. Things change and generations that are coming behind us do not have to live through the same crap that we live through. We can change it. They don't have to fight the same demons that we grew up with. The daughters of alcoholics do not have to be alcoholics or marry alcoholics. But yet it is what we see all around us in the world. The children of abusers do not need to become abusive. The children of emotionally stunted parents don't have to grow up having messed up relationships. Just because our parents didn't know how to have a relationship doesn't mean we can't. We can. If we're willing to change. If we're willing to take on what God is saying. Children from broken homes don't have to have broken homes. Because the children of the people of God can have blessings. The children of the people of God can have hope. The children of the people of God can have freedom. The children of the people of God no longer have to live second-class lives. Because we're not second-class citizens. We belong and we are citizens of heaven, living on earth. The children of the people of God can live the life God created them for, can fulfill their destinies, and they can break free of the past and live a life of favor. Let me finish with this. There is a beautiful piece of scripture in Romans. Absolutely phenomenal piece in Romans 5. And it starts off saying, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's talking about Adam. It's talking about what his sin brought to all of us, to cause the course of physical and spiritual death. Say nothing of the weeds and the hard work in the fields. And the whole thing about pain having babies. Ladies, you want someone to blame, get Adam. It's his fault. All right? 
But just listen to what comes a couple of verses later. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that come by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many transgressions and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Did you see those words, how much more? Whatever problem my dad may have made for me and whatever problem I may have made for my kids, Jesus brings blessings that swallows them up. And he removes them. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus swallows up the law of sin and death that may have been released into my family. Do you know when a light is turned on in a dark room? What happens? The light swallows up the darkness, doesn't it? Jesus overpowers anything that can create death in us because his life and his light will swallow up that darkness. Listen to Romans, that same piece in the message. It says this. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, and those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant gift, this grand sets everything right, that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. See, even as darkness is obliterated by light, sin is obliterated by grace. How much more? Here's the question, guys. How much more do you want for your family? How much more do you want for you? Is it too big? Is the pain too deep? Has it been going on for too long? Listen to me, here's what he promises. My grace is sufficient for you. Because no matter what you're facing, he promises that he will never leave you alone. He will never desert you, and he'll always be on your side. John Bevere shared something when we were seeing him up in the north last week that impacted me about grace that I didn't think of before. See, many times I think of grace as a gift. It's the nice bit about the forgiveness. It's the bit about God looking at me and not killing me for all the stupid things I've done in life. And all that is true. All of it. But there's something else about grace. It's power. And it is available to us just by plugging into the source. There is power in the name of Jesus. Wow. So here's the thing. I honestly don't care what your problem is. I don't care how big it is. And I don't care how scared you are. I don't care how damaged you are from your family past or how damaged your family is now because of what has happened. I do care. I care that you're hurting. But I don't care in the sense that whatever your problem is, I know Jesus is the answer. And I know he has an answer. And I know he's already paid the price for it. The question is, are you going to plug into it? 
Are you insecure? Are you scared? Are you battered? Or maybe a batterer? Are you abused? Or maybe even an abuser? Are you dysfunctional in the way you operate in your family? Have you carried on the way that our parents carried into our family? It doesn't have to be that way. It can be different. Are you a doormat? Are you letting people walk on you? Are you walking on other people? Are you? Are you? Are you? You put it, You fill in the blank. What is it? Whatever it is, Jesus is here right now. The Holy Spirit is here. The presence of Almighty God is right in this room right now. And he has the power to set you free. To put you on a path that will lead to life. To real life. But it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you it'll be easy because it won't. It'll be hard. But you know what? Living with that isn't easy either. Living the way you've lived up to now. If you're the person I'm talking to with this, it wasn't easy. doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have to be that way anymore but it's up to you just close your eyes for a minute will you please for one minute just ignore whoever is sitting beside you behind you in front of you and everything else if God is talking to you Respond to him. Stick your hand up in the air for 20 seconds. And just go, you know what? Yeah, I need to change. I need that power that is in the name of Jesus. I need to break whatever has been coming down through the generations of my family and stop it now. I know four weeks ago, because I wrote it in my diary, God said, talk about the sins of the father and generational problems and courses going down through families. And he said, talk about it today. So you're here to hear that. For whatever reason. So if that is you, I'm going to ask you, just shove your hand up in the air and put it back down again. Because I want to pray for you. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to stay here. This song is eight minutes long. If you want to come up the front now, we're going to open the altar up. And pray for people for the next couple of minutes. I'm going to pray God gives you whatever you need to set you free. Whether that's just amazing encouragement, whether it's strength, whether it's information or skills or whatever you need, God can give it to you. It doesn't matter what you're coming from and it doesn't matter what you're in. Tomorrow does not have to be the same ever again. So as people are going to leave, I'm going to pray just a general blessing and people are leaving, go over tea and coffee. But if you're looking for prayer, I'm going to stay up here. You come up, you stand, we'll pray. And we'll believe God to do something miraculous in this place today. So Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the name of Jesus and the power that it carries. I thank you for your spirit being in this place with us. And I thank you for everybody sitting in this room. I ask you to, to just minister to their souls. I pray that as they leave this place, they would live refreshed. 
encouraged and blessed to know that the God who created the heavens and the earth is on their side, is with them, is for them, and that you love them more than they will ever know. So God, I ask you in the name of your son Jesus just to bless your people. Watch over them as they go, as they walk, as they live the rest of this week. And I ask it in Jesus' name.